What we do over time is we create an engagement zone of the road is just not slicing through getting people from downtown to 29. The road is actually a medium by which people and cars and bicyclists all begin to occupy the same area. That was Daniel Heyer, founder and civil engineer at Line and Grade. His team is working with Albemarle County to create the railroad corridor plan. In this episode, we pick up where episode one left off. Daniel and I will have a conversation about designing a better corridor experience, planning infrastructure that truly serves the community, the benefits and engineering considerations of roundabouts, and what the next steps are for this important corridor. Welcome to Let's Talk Albemarle. I'm your host, Serena Gruya. I'm the public engagement specialist with Albemarle County in beautiful central Virginia. I've been in this position for just about two years and every day I learn more about local government and our community. I've spoken with so many people who really want to get involved in local governance, but don't know where to start. Well, it's my hope that this podcast is a starting point to supporting community participation. And for those of you who are already super engaged, a chance to dig into important topics. So today, let's talk Albemarle about the Rio Corridor Plan. This is episode part two of two. The first episode focused on the history of the Rio Corridor, what a corridor plan is, what the designers consider before they start to put pen to paper, and how we start to build a shared understanding of the current experience and future vision for the corridor. I invite you to take a listen to episode one if you haven't already. Now, let's continue our conversation with Daniel Heyer. If we are operating under the understanding that there might not be um, places that people want to walk to or an enjoyable experience that would allow for more people to access as pedestrians, how do we as the county, how do you as designers um, then kind of plan for that to create opportunities for more pedestrian and bike access? Well, this is a classic uh, chicken or egg question what comes first, the road or the land use adjacent to the road? And I'm not sure there's actually a good answer to that. But part of what our study aims to do is to begin to put form and language to the way that buildings and land use relates to the corridor itself. And the hope of that work is to provide the county with guidance and documentation that, that they can then work into a comprehensive plan or an entrance corridor guidance, they can begin to say, okay, if we want people to be walking along the corridor, if we want the actual infrastructure to serve the community, having places to walk and creating a public realm or a, a zone of engagement along the corridor, that needs to be thought about. And so there's certain portions along the corridor where the design of future development or future land use can begin to really be in harmony with the roadway. And so we want to plan for that. It's not going to change anything today or tomorrow, but if at some point some piece of property changes, and instead of it being a single family home on a single lot, it were to become several townhouses, well, if the county has any kind of direction to that, that new landowner or that developer about how their building should relate to the roadway, what we do over time is we create an engagement zone of the road is just not slicing through getting people from downtown to 29. 
the road is actually a medium by which people and cars and bicyclists all begin to occupy the same area and that has to be guided with with diagrams and, and thought by by designers throughout this process you've been hearing from uh, county staff uh, community members business owners what are some of the top um, concerns that you've heard and maybe get into how you're addressing those concerns with the plan. People are worried about traffic. People are worried about spending money. People are worried about how projects may or may not impact them specifically. And these are all very valid things to be aware of. I think that it's our responsibility to listen and and engage, but also to inform and educate. But it's also our job to be open-minded and to say, well, we aren't the experts here. There isn't a single expert. And so we want to be, be listening, but also stepping back from the listening to hear, hear what the trend are, trends are and the feedback. We still have a lot to learn. And I think us being the professional to say, here is true professional guidance on on solutions that can contribute to a better experience and a better better corridor, but to also say we're working on behalf of these people, so we want to hear their voice. Based on what uh, you've been hearing, what are some of the key takeaways that, um, that you're working with? Yeah, I think because we've been able to listen to a number of folks already and because we've been able to begin to meet with specific stakeholders along the corridor, we do know what people are, are, are thinking. And what I can say that I've taken away so, so far is that this corridor can be substantially improved for everyone. That is very clear. Um, the corridor is operating currently with so many deficiencies. And now that we, we've specifically understood them and isolated them and put them in context, we can make this corridor better. And so our, our plan will make those recommendations. We're realizing that there's much to be gained by everyone in this, both the current residents, the county, and also future developers. Um, I think there's some initial reaction to the idea of roundabouts. So I think um, continuing to lean into that and, and discover what roundabouts are good at and what they're bad at and if they are or are not a good fit is something that we need to dig into. All right, well you brought up the term roundabout. Let's dig in to um, what is a roundabout. Well, simply put, a roundabout is just a circular intersection. It's an intersection that does not require a traffic signal. You can have just a traditional single lane roundabout we see those really popping up more prevalently now. If, you, if you've driven down Burkmar Drive from Rio to um, the airport, um, basically along Burkmar, you go through a couple different roundabouts now, I think. And so those would all be traditional single lane roundabouts. Um, but a, a dual lane roundabout, while it might seem very ominous, it functions very much the same. I mean, the beauty of a roundabout is the vehicles in the roundabout have precedence. So any any car coming to the intersection yields to the cars within it. And I think that to me is part of what makes them such a, a solid solution for, for complex intersections. 
I've driven on some roundabouts and I, um, I, I feel myself slowing down, getting maybe a little bit more careful about my driving. Tell me, what are um, some of the uh, benefits of the roundabout? Well, you really, you led, led me straight to one of the, a good point is that within a roundabout, because vehicle speeds have to come to a, a very controlled like upper boundary of speed, you, you can only go through a roundabout but so quickly. And that, that actual speed or the velocity through the roundabout is a calculation that an engineer will make about the angle that a car can enter and the speed at which they can go through at those angles or those, those radiuses. So it's a very thoughtful design element of, of how fast cars can move through roundabouts. Think about the current uh, signalized intersection at the corner of John Warner and Rio. And if you're on Rio headed toward the city and you hit that light green, you're probably going 45 miles an hour and you're preparing to slow down as the road merges into a single lane, but you're going full speed. And we like that. We like hit, we like hitting the light green. If it turns yellow, you you might hit the gas and go even faster. That condition doesn't exist in the same way with a roundabout. And so they are safer in that standpoint. Considering the signalized intersection at John Warner and Rio as a good example, if you just so happen to be someone who wanted to walk across that intersection from one side to the other, let's say you lived in Dunlora Forest and were a student at KTEC and you were, happened to be walking to a class, when you got to that intersection, you would walk across that intersection being exposed to nothing but vehicles for about 90 to 100 feet. So, you, you know, you might be trying to walk more quickly. You, you kind of feel like you're not supposed to be there. And that, that's one intersection. And in that example, you might be a 17 or 18-year-old. But imagine if you were a, a mother with a toddler or a father with a toddler or, or walking with an elderly parent. Like that 90 feet of being exposed to vehicles is rather unsafe, especially if someone is driving irresponsibly and you're just exposed. Whereas within a roundabout, even if we retrofit that intersection with a roundabout, you know, the pedestrian crossings become much shorter and therefore the pedestrian is less exposed to a conflict with a vehicle, making it safer. One thing that's worth saying is that roundabouts generally keep traffic moving, whereas a stoplight brings traffic to a stop. And depending on the corridor and depending on the context, traffic lights can actually significantly slow down and contribute to a, a delay in your travel. So if you happen to be traveling home after working in downtown Charlottesville and you maybe live in Hollymead, so you're going through this intersection and it's evening and traffic's kind of bad, you might wait through one or two cycles of a light and that slows you down by some measurable frame of time. Whereas if a roundabout can kind of continually keep vehicles moving, you might slow down, but the average rate of travel over the duration of the corridor is higher. And so that that's again, that's one of our benefits of being able to look at the corridor as a whole, instead of just saying, how is this one intersection performing? And if it's not performing well, what is the fix? And we say, it's good that we're thinking about that. How does this intersection fit into the corridor as a whole within people in this you know small area plan? And how does the roadway want to fit? And so it's sort of asking the same questions, but in a different way. 
Did you know that the host of this podcast also drives a big van around the county? The Let's Talk Albemarle van creates pop-up workshops and outreach events to aim to connect our community to projects, resources, and each other. Visit albemarle.org to see where the van will pop up next. And now back to the show. So if we are looking at the corridor as a whole um, and the uh, the roundabout is maybe one of the uh, first encounters someone has on the corridor. What are your um, design uh, measures that, as you're leading towards uh, 29, what kind of interventions have you um, considered to alleviate the, the pressure on the corridor? Yeah, I think one of the first things we did was we did what was called an access management overlay of the corridor as a whole. Access management is really technical guidance that says if you have an intersection, it should be this far from another intersection. If you have an entrance to a gas station, it should be this far from another gas station's entrance. And when we looked at just the access management for the corridor, we realized that it was really these, those hot spots I mentioned, the Hillsdale Old Brook intersection, the gasoline alley area, as well as the John Warner Rio intersection in Belvedere, that we really have these challenges for access management. So part of the long range vision is how do you begin to solve the access management challenge, which ultimately looks like trying to spread things out or, or consolidate. So shared entrances versus individual entrances or spreading out signalized intersections from each other. So. Part of our work is to say, where do we have space to, to either consolidate and simplify infrastructure, or where do we have the space to spread it out more so that access management is more compliant? You and your team have developed some design concepts based on your understanding um, of the community's experience, the technical documents, the influencing documents. Um, tell me about the next steps um, uh, for the public, and then what happens down the road? We've done a lot of work and a lot of research and a lot of um, development to get to this point where we're coming back to the community. We've listened to what they've said. We've done our own study. We've tried to incorporate insights and feedback from various stakeholders. And we will now be sharing that with the public at large, um, whether CACs or other formats where the designs and the design concepts can be shared and offered as um, an opportunity for public to comment and and, uh, give their insights and feedback. And we want to then take those thoughts and those insights and as a team and with the county, like review them and vet them for, you know, are we picking up on a trend that needs to be addressed here? Are we, are we hearing something that we've missed? And kind of run that through the process of, of you know, true listening but truly hearing. And then we will make design adjustments as appropriate. And then ultimately we will take these designs and concepts to the Board of Supervisors. And if the board in term, in time says, yes, this is actually the vision that um, our staff have now, based on the consultant's work, willing to say this, this is what we recommend for the corridor at large, I would suspect that this work will be amended into maybe the, you know, Riot 29 um, small area plan or the Places 29 master plan. And by virtue of that, it becomes really a part of the county's comprehensive plan. Uh, we need to be open-handed about this, and if, if what we're hearing is 
that were off the mark, then we need to recalibrate and adjust accordingly. The corridor plan is really um, a visionary document. Um, what needs to happen to make that community vision a reality? This is not an overnight process. This takes time, especially large infrastructure projects where the county will look to another administration, whether VDOT or the federal government, to help fund it. And so if this study presents um, plans and ideas that are truly worth pursuing and that the community truly wants, It'll be grassroots movement to the community to keep that topic in front of their elected officials, and it'll be the responsibility of the elected officials to pursue funding those projects, whether with local, state, or federal dollars. And all three of those places to get money are, are viable for this type of work. Are we able to um, project what we might expect to see in the short term or long term? Um, is there any kind of way we can forecast that? The county has received funding for an improvement project at the John Warner and Rio intersection. And that money is coming very soon. And folks might even start seeing some indicators of work happening even before this year is over, right? So it won't be long before we really start to see signs of progress. Now, let's, let's caveat that with infrastructure projects are not quick and so even if we begin to see surveyors along the corridor surveying the existing conditions of what will eventually be an intersection improvement project it'll probably still be two years maybe three before we have a new intersection maybe four so that's kind of the pace at which things move so that the short term is that we're going to see improvements and we're probably going to see them most uh, currently at the John Warner Rio intersection I really think that the Hillsdale and Old Brook Northfield eight-way intersection is one of the poorest performing intersections in the county. It's one of the least safe intersections in the entire county. And that intersection really needs some TLC. So I would hope that on the, on the mid to longer range, we're seeing that intersection improved. If you've fixed both bookends of this part of the corridor, then you now have the framework to begin to improve what's happening in between. So that, that what we see happening in between these intersections, I think, is the longer horizon. But again, um, that will also be help be facilitated if, if land use and development along the corridor comes as well. So uh, I think that that kind of bridges the zero to five years, five to 10 years and beyond 10 year type vision. Taking in uh, what you've heard from the community, what the desires are, um, understanding the challenges. Walk us through what the corridor will look and feel like starting at John Warner going out to Putt-Putt. Sure. I think at John Warner we will see a substantial simplification of the geometry around that intersection which includes the entrance to Dunlora, the entrance to uh, Varick Street, I'm the blanking on the name of that small subdivision next to Dunlora. Um, we'll see a simplification of the infrastructure in front of the future development of the Wetzel property. I think all of that will become much more cohesive and coherent for travelers and, and residents. I think we will see um, a simplification and an, and an improvement at Belvedere, which is a development that continues to grow 
and attract many folks to it, whether it's people playing soccer on the weekends or uh, uh, folks trying to get to the center at Belvedere. So I see, I think that intersection will be simplified and improved. I think that the area between the railroad and Greenbrier Drive, uh, which is the area around Gasoline Alley, we'll see simplification and um, the, the combining of access management opportunities for those gas stations, basically creating a safer environment. One thing we'll see is, hopefully, is the connection of the Northtown Trail, which runs basically from the John Warner intersection all the way, we need to get it all the way up to Burkmar. Because once we can do that, uh, someone on a bicycle or out for a run or pushing a stroller or what have you could, could in theory, walk along an asphalt shared use path from basically from the county office building all the way to the airport. Hmm. And that would be an incredible um, piece of infrastructure for the county. And I think that will happen. Um, going along the corridor from Gasoline Alley all the way up to Hillsdale, what I think we'll see are simple improvements that slow vehicles down, create a little bit more green space, try to find opportunities to blend with the county's um, climate action plan, uh, introducing you know a raised median in some areas with planted trees, uh, a generous buffer strip for pedestrians that's planted, hopefully also with trees. And then as we approach the Hillsdale intersection, which is this infamous eight-way intersection, I believe that we will see a very creative solution to that cluster of infrastructure. And I think our team has done a really good job identifying what is a, both a workable and um, appropriate scale improvement. And I think that improvement will actually take a lot of pressure off of the fashion square putt-putt kind of offset intersection where, where really the county's small area plan takes over kind of guiding. So I think that we will see a corridor that has um, from one end to the other kind of these these strong book ended uh, points of, of like awareness where there's a, a traffic calming device or an intersection that is safer and almost creates the opportunity to know that you're changing contexts along the roadway. And in between those, those two bookending um, intersections, I think we'll see uh, a roadway that's more interesting, that has better uh, accommodations for all users, and that still can convey um, the, the volume of vehicles that this roadway needs to carry uh, from the commuter traffic. If we have a plan in place that guides decision-making and allocation of resources and funding for the next 10, 15, 20 years, these things will start to happen. And by getting the ball rolling, we also create the opportunity for like continued momentum for improving the area. You know, granted, the county and the executive team at the county has to allocate resources around the county. This is not the only corridor and not the only area that needs improvement. But I think if we have a plan in place, we are equipping our elected officials to over time implement these projects. We recognize that we're not done yet. I think we recognize that, yes, we've done a lot of work so far, but we still have a, a lot of work to do. And that as we really start to get into the specifics of rolling out some of our designs and getting feedback, that this is not, hey, we're finished, this is the rubber stamp, but that this is really just um, 
taking the conversation to a more uh, visual and informed level. And that wraps up part two of our conversation about Rio Road. First, thanks again to Daniel Heyer for being my very first guest on Let's Talk Albemarle. And thank you again for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode, which will be all about ways we can be good stewards of our natural environment and how that can contribute to our community's well-being. I would love to hear from you. Call or email me to share your constructive feedback, suggest a topic, or ask a question you have about Albemarle County local government. 434-296-5841, extension 3274, or S-G-R-U-I-A at albemarle.org. Let's talk Albemarle.